Well, after a week's hiatus, we are back for another edition of Unplugged. St Kilda had a bye. We felt we probably needed one too. It was a tumultuous, pretty heartbreaking couple of weeks on field and obviously a fair bit of tumultuous stuff off field as well. So a good chance to catch the breath. Uh, an utterly disastrous loss in, real- in reality to the Adelaide Crows and listening to a lot of the feedback on social media, some say it was the most painful loss they'd experienced or some like me could see it coming for probably the last hour of the game, so much so that it didn't end up hurting because you're just like, it was always going to happen. That's just what we do. Um, yeah, it, it was it was clearly a, a tough watch. Um, clearly, there were things that could have happened differently and we would have won the game. Only one or two of them would have been enough. Um, little moments here and there, but a tough loss. One that does, even though there's a mathematical possibility, it does put a, a nail in the coffin, you would think, on the season. The Sydney loss in reality did that, but the Adelaide loss certainly confirmed it. Uh, we look ahead to Richmond. So we play the two-time reigning premiers who beat us by 15 goals earlier in the year. So um, some crowds returning and a lot to talk about. Uh, a few big names returning to the side as well. A couple of those unfairly created uh, controversy uh, through no fault of their own, but we'll talk a bit more about that as well. Uh, we'll welcome the panel. Uh, the match was in Cairns. H, I'll, I'll start off with you. Um, halfway through the second quarter, the commentators were talking about Adelaide going scoreless in the first half. An hour later, they'd beaten us. Commentators curse? Uh, that's, yeah. uh, they're talking about, oh, they're, they're never going to score. And then all of a sudden, they pile on, this, pile on, what, 10 goals to three or four or whatever it was for the rest yeah. of the match or... I don't think it was even that many. Um, Nine goals to three, just, yeah. Yeah, it's just just painful. Um, I, I don't know whether they're, I don't know, getting that far ahead and sort of going, okay, we're we're good here. We'll just just do what we have to do from now, or what it is, and is, is that the reason we haven't put teams away previously when we've had the opportunity to say like North Melbourne? I mean, if North Melbourne started their run earlier in the match, they would have beaten us as well. It's yeah, just just a where where's the effort once they've put in all that effort to get that far ahead? It's it just disappears. Um, and I I just I just don't know what you do to fix that. It, it it's just really painful to watch. Um, I think some of us were talking about the turning point being the fact that what was it thirty five zero? Then Hunter Clark gets knocked out and. Mm. The game just turned on its head. It, one, I'm surely one player doesn't make that big a difference to a game. So, no, who knows what it is? It, it was one of those ones, and and you know you're right, Parker, about those the two types of St Kilda fans. I think in how they approached that that loss, and and H, you know, we we were talking with Charlie a couple of weeks ago, just before the Adelaide game, and and his perspective at at the time before the game was. I almost don't care anymore. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm done. I've, I've had enough. Like, it doesn't matter what they throw at me. It can't hurt me anymore because it's hurt so much for so long that it just doesn't hurt. I just don't feel it anymore. And it, it doesn't matter. Um, and and I think there was a lot of that. You know, like, like you said, Parker, I think it was, it was so obvious that it was happening. And it was like that slow motion train crash. It was like you could see it an hour out that this is what's happening. And this is going to happen. Like, it's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's going to happen. Um, mm. But it was—I mean, I was almost the opposite. That was—that was almost the worst I felt after a loss for a really long time. I was almost like the first time that I've been completely devoid of joy or hope or, or any. It was like that just sapped all energy and all hope from my soul 
Um, and, and it was something that, you know, I think we're, you know, as Saints fans, you kind of, you always hang on to that little glimmer of hope. But, you know, for, for a few hours or a day or even a couple of days after that game, it was like, that just got, that was gone. It just vanished. And it was like, what do we do now? Like, I, ha- I have no idea where we go to now. And, and it was, that was really difficult to deal with. Um, but you're right, age. It, it was, it was almost like that, that hit on, on Hunter Clark just completely turned the momentum. And I don't, I, like you, I don't know how that happens because it's not like, you know, he was playing well, but he wasn't, he wasn't best on ground. He wasn't a dominant force in the middle. He wasn't winning the hard ball and, and dominating clearances or, or anything like that. He wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't being a, a superstar out there. He wasn't Superman. And it's not like you, you take, uh, you know, a guy, he, he just wasn't having that type of impact. So taking him out of the game or taking him off the field should not have had that much impact on the rest of the squad. And, and maybe it was, you know, who knows? Maybe they knew that he was seriously injured and that deflates you. And, and of course, it's, you know, it's, that's upsetting and, and whatever. But these guys are professional athletes. Like, they've got to be able to compartmentalise and move on. They've got a job a job to do. And whatever it was that, that you know, sapped them of their hope and, and their energy, it was just impossible for them to, to overcome. Now, I'm, um, it's interesting. Anger is often easier to deal with as an emotion than sadness and frustration. I think most people know that. Like if you're bent and you're, you're frustrated, it's sometimes a bit a bit easier to sort of get that out. And I remember watching that whole last quarter. I'm like, we could hang on and win this game by a point, which when they kicked it out in the full with a minute to go, it looked like we might do. And I'm like, that, it doesn't change much. Like it's, it's still a collapse. We would have been very, very lucky to win the game had we have hung on. And it was almost like when that Thilthorpe goal went through, as much as your heart sunk, my reaction was, you just got what you deserved, you bastards. Like the way you've been playing, that was always going to happen. And you, you, you just, you're almost angry after the game. And, and look, Titus O'Reilly, who um, is a Melbourne supporter, so he kind of knows what he's talking about, put it on Twitter that there should be a charter in the Geneva Convention for what St Kilda does to its supporters. And it was just that anger. I'm like, we invest so much in this and you dish that up for us like it, it was mm. it was embarrassing and, and it must have been after the game it didn't hurt in that sense I was I was angry almost to the point of laughing thinking that's ridiculous and then the following day it hurt a bit like Sunday was a bit of a battle just sort of you didn't want to watch the footy for the rest of the weekend you were flat as attack thinking this is it's absurd that this keeps happening there's no logical explanation and yeah I just remember my immediate reaction was almost to chuckle and just go they got exactly what they deserved mm. and it's just, it's just simple as that like they their approach, the defence held up really well, but they went into their shell, the rest of the group. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, you're missing a couple of soldiers and you could lose one more and it's the tipping point. But if you've outscored a team 11 shots to zip and you're 36 points up, there are no excuses. I mean, before mm. the game, I thought we'd probably lose because we had too many guys out, but we were tearing them apart. So all of a sudden, that excuse is gone. On, on the balance of the 22 you had versus the 22 they had, you were dominating the game, so you shouldn't lose. So... And that's the reality that comes out of it. I mean, for me, the Geelong loss hurt the most on the season because I thought that was our season. We'd won two in a row. We played a premiership contender. We beat them to go five and four. We're in the eight. Our percentage is still ordinary, but we're okay. Losing that game just took the stuffing out of all of us. We lost Marshall and Jones in that game. Uh, And then, obviously, the, the loss to Sydney, to me, ended our season realistically, and that one hurt a lot for a week. Um, but the Adelaide game, it was like, well, just 
just kick us while we're down, really. Um, I guess and this, that's what made it different. Yeah. For me, I think I think the week off definitely helped, you know, kind of put things in perspective. And I think that, you know, if there's any positive to come out of that game, it was that we didn't win. You know, like yeah. because because we didn't hold on, because we didn't scrape through, it doesn't allow for any papering over those those cracks that keep widening and getting bigger and bigger each week. If we won, if we held on, there would have been the oh Adelaide came at us so hard late and we held on, you know, we scrapped and we fought and, and you know we held That's on and, and bullshit. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and this did not allow for that because we didn't. We didn't hold on. We didn't scrap. We didn't fight. There was no energy. There was no heart. And you couldn't hold on to, well, we got the four points because there was none of it. You know, in previous weeks, there, there's always been, well, you know, we, we got close. Like, that's a long game. We, we were better than them all game. Hmm. And we, we nearly, we nearly, you know, stole it from the premiership favourites. Um, Sydney, you know, we deserve to win. Or, you know, we, we should have stolen at the end. And we just didn't. We just weren't quite classy enough at the end. But you know, we're not not that far off. Um, now there's there's no excuse. There's no there's no papering over the cracks. There's no forgiveness. It is what it is. And we are just rubbish at the moment. Like it's it's that simple. Um, and, and you know, we'll talk to we'll talk to someone who's who had a history of you know building a culture and leadership. And, and there's a there's a void of that in our club. And there there has been for a very long time. Um, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, you know, over the next, you know, six or eight weeks, given this, you know, whatever this internal footy department review that's going on at the moment, whatever that is, um, it's going to be really interesting to see what what comes out of that at the end of the year. Yeah, and it's it's just become a worrying trend. I mean, we saw last year the couple of games, North Melbourne, Frio, then there was a couple of other games like the final where we got a reasonable lead and then just held on the end. And it's come back again this year, but on top of that, we're getting absolutely belted in other games. So we're not winning the games outside these ones where we're falling over and losing. We're being belted and then picking off a few wins here and there, and then losing these ones that we've had in the bag or should have been able to hold on to. It, is there not something being done to stop these momentum runs. I mean, Adelaide stopped our momentum. I mean, we, we keep him scoreless for virtually 45 minutes of play or 48 minutes of play, whatever it ended up being. And they've gone, okay, we, we do something. We make this stop. They put something in place and then they start picking away. And have we changed something to stop that happening back to us? It, has there been a second, like a, a plan B put in place when things like this happen? It, it just seems to be on. We just continue doing what we're doing and don't worry about changing anything. Um, it's, I don't know. Are we scared to change? Are we scared to say, oh, the, this isn't working? Uh, but we don't know what to do. There's just so many questions that come up. Thinking, well, what? Why aren't we trying something? We saw the, uh, against Sydney, Timmy Membry threw himself back into the back line and almost won the game for us when you look at it. Mm. If he wasn't down there, that, Sydney went by five, six goals. We, we spoke to, we spoke to Tony Brown a, a few weeks ago and mm. I, I'm amazed that kind of no one's made a, a bigger deal out of it. But he said, um, 
you know, one of the things we kind of said off the cuff was that that Jaron Geary is that is that leader within the club, and you know, when things when the tide starts turning, he's the guy that rallies the troops, that that kind of calms everyone down, that that either calms them down or, or brings the energy and kind of leads them through. And you know, for, for all his his faults, and you know, not the most skillful footballer, he's not the quickest runner, he's not, you know, he's not all of these things. I think it's been really clear that in in all of these um, in all of these games that, that we are devoid of leadership, and we missed Jaron Geary and his leadership, especially in kind of crisis moments when the momentum's shifting, when the tide is turning. There is no one out there that can do what Jaron Geary does for us, um, and I mean that's that's an indictment on our footy club that that we have no backup leadership. Um, not not so much on the players themselves, but you know on the club that they haven't been able to put these things in place. And Jared, uh, Jack Steele is doing an incredible job, um, but he's not you know he's not that leader yet. He he leads in terms of his footy action, but in terms of bringing the you know putting the team on his back, you know the 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 way that he acts and and is vocal. Even I mean Jared Gear is not the most vocal captain in the competition, but you know when he stands up that he stands up. And you know when he speaks, they listen. Um, you know, Jack, Jack Steele doesn't have that yet. He's a phenomenal player. Like, I love Jack Steele. He's our best player. Um, and he's having a, another fantastic year. But he's not yet the leader that Jaron Geary is. And, and we don't have anyone to kind of fill those boots at the moment. Some players are about injured. Some players are young. Some players are down on confidence. And... You know, some of them get excused. Jaron Geary's one of those, clearly. And I agree, it annoys the hell out of me when supporters, even on our comments and various other comments, tell us that he's not in our best 22. He's so far entrenched in our best 22 based on leadership that it's not funny. He leaves a gaping hole in the side when he's out. But at the moment, and it's evident in the floggings and it's evident in the games where we've uh, given up leads and, and even last year, to an extent, and it probably sounds harsh on others, but for one reason or another, and injuries are factors in that, when it has got hard this year, you trust Steele, Howard, uh, Membry, and Ryder, but not many others. Maybe Wilkie, maybe Crouch at times, but they're the four guys only that I would say, when the wheel turns in games, have consistently mm. this year stood up, either kicked big goals, defended put their head over the footy. For me, it's Steele, Howard, Membry and Ryder. And it's very difficult to mount a case for many others in those circumstances. Um, and that's the frustrating part about it. As we say, there are kids in there and, and they can be forgiven. Someone like a Burns or a, a Bytel who unfortunately got concussed during the week. There are others who can't, clearly, because they've been around long enough. And even guys that are second, third, fourth year players that have been really disappointing Um uh, not so much guys like, I mean, Max King, clearly his confidence is shot. That's another issue. Um, but you look at guys like, and, and it, uh, apologies for pointing the finger, but you look at guys like Loney, like Long, like Hill, like Billings, um, like even. Webster's probably one who's been pretty solid. He's been, he's, he's been okay. Um, Butler, Higgins, um, these sorts of guys that just, when it has got into those clutch situations that we haven't been able to, rely on them. We haven't been able to call upon any level of experience consistently enough. That's not to say they haven't had their moments. I mean, Billings was huge in that West Coast game late, but 
Um, yeah, it's just in terms of reliable, if you were to sit there and say the opposition is going to turn up the blowtorch, which players do you know will stand up to that? To me, it's those four, and there aren't many others that I can confidently say would do that on a on a regular basis. Unfortunately, one of those disappointing things, you know, you talk about that that leadership vacuum, and look at a guy like Seb Ross, and we'll talk about Seb, and, and Seb's been, you know, a wonderful servant of the footy club for a long time, and this is not like like you said, I, I feel bad pointing fingers, but Seb Ross mm-hmm. has been vice captain, you know, he's been yeah. a stand in captain. He should be one of those guys that when the chips are down, that he's the one that puts the hand up and says, I'm gonna I'm gonna lift and I'm gonna lift the guys around me. Luke Dunstan was was captain of his you know, under eighteen team and his, his state team, I'm pretty sure he was a captain of um in, in TAC Cup and, and national championships. Nick Caulfield was a captain of, of the Northern Light Knight, Northern Knights, I believe. Um and potentially even Vic Metro or whatever, you know, whatever the the um championship team that he was in. You know, so there are guys that, that have grown up being leaders, that have been leaders in, in previous iterations of their career, I suppose, and for one reason or another have not been able to take that next step to be that guy, to be the one to say, I'm going to do what no one else is doing. I'm going to take that first step. I'm going to put my body on the line. I'm going to do what needs to be done in this moment. We don't have... You don't have anyone outside of those, you know, those three or four guys that you mentioned. Um, yeah. And one one of the things I say a lot is you're only as good as your bottom six. And quite often that bottom six hasn't turned up at all. And a few weeks that six is actually extended out to seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, if twelve that, players at yeah. times. It's it's just just getting that lower end of the players who should be threatened losing their spot in the senior team, which which seems to be not happening every week. There's players that you sort of go, what did they do last week? Why are they still there? It's what are they offering us? Um, is there players that should be pushing them out of their positions? Um, so that getting that bottom six right, going, if you don't do something this week, you're not guaranteed a spot. You, you're going to go back and play VFL. It's players that in that region that we need to look at and lift and be, they're the ones that the play, the, we need the coaches, the captain, the everyone getting to and saying, you're here to help us. You're here to help get the rest of the team through this week. It's just crucial to get that part of the team correct because that's what will pull you down. The first thing that soon as they're not there. Now, we'll talk to um, Grant Thomas about some of those cultural and leadership aspects shortly. He's a guy that um, has always been extremely passionate about the club, led us through some some very good times. Again, as we say, bookmarked a bit with some some heartbreak in there, but um, did put us on the path, I think, which led us to the Ross Lyon team, which was another step better uh, and almost uh, won a flag again. So we'll have a chat to, to Tomo about a lot of that sort of stuff. Um uh, and also the issues of the week very, very shortly. But might rattle through the votes and just full stop that, that Adelaide loss. Um, I gave an apology for me for, for Howard. As I mentioned earlier, I um I love his commitment, leads the league in spoils. I love his passion. You, you see that. He, he had 
probably the worst free kick of all time, paid against him on the goal line, obviously late in that game, which was particularly crucial. But he just missed out. I gave a vote to his uh, colleague in, in uh, Highmore, who took 14 marks, played a Tom Stewart-type game, um, thought he was very, very good, and uh, bemused as to why he's been not a regular starter over the course of the season. Um, I gave two votes to these two guys have probably been our, our best midfielders for a month. Uh, two votes to Brad Crouch and three votes to Jack Steele. Um, they had 71 possessions between them, uh, clearances, tackles. Brad Crouch kicked the goal that should have been the sealer. It put us 36 points up in the third quarter. It was our last goal of the game, um, strangely enough, but uh, thought those two guys were, were very good. So I gave one to Highmore, two to Crouch three to steal with an apology to Howard, Nick. Yeah, very similar. My apology is to Highmore. I thought he was very good. Um, and, and like you, I'm just kind of baffled or bemused as to why he hasn't been a staple in, in this team, mm. um, especially given some of the outs and, and you know personnel issues that we've had throughout the year. Uh, I gave one to Google Howard. I thought he was really good. And, and you're right, that free kick was just... Balling, uh, but 24 touches at 83% efficiency from a fullback, 13 intercepts, seven marks. You know, he, he did everything that you ask for from, from your fullback. Um, I gave, like you, two to Brad Crouch, 36 touches, 19 contested, six tackles, five clearances, and a goal. Most days, that's probably your best on ground. Uh, you know, he, he put in a really solid, really solid performance against his old mob. Uh, but once again, uh, the three votes goes to Jack Seal. Another 34 touches, 19 contested, 12 tackles, 12 inside 50s, nine clearances and 605 metres gained. Like, this guy just doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. And and he's that far and above our best player. Um, and we've spoken about this before. He might not be the most important player to our structure in the way that we want to play, but he is that far and above our best player um, that it's not even it's not even close. It's not even a contest at the moment. H? And I'll give my apology there to Howard. Um, I, I almost snuck him in, but I think Tommy Highmore, that game clearly the best game he's played for us. That he he was on he was on part of break records in the first half there at one point. It's the, the intercept marking that that's some of the best we've seen since I guess the likes of even Goose McGuire. He, he he just sat himself in the position and just picked everything off that he could and. That, that was a brilliant game, and he should not see the bench for the rest of the year. No sub, no VFL. He's in the senior team. That's it. No, just, he has to stay there now. That, there's, there's nothing that should be even... Uh, injury, that is it. No no excuses now. Um, two to Wilkie. I don't think he got given the credit that he actually deserved, to be honest. I mean, he didn't have a lot of the ball. He didn't take a lot of marks, but the work he did on the likes of Walker um, and their other forwards during the night, they didn't get. They didn't dominate us like they have. Like text didn't dominate like he's done other weeks. It, it kept them really quiet. He got to the positions. He made the contests. He basically um, kept them out of the game in the first half. He is the reason probably they didn't score in the 30, first 48 minutes of the match. His defense was brilliant. Um, obviously gets a little bit overshadowed with what happened, but he still held his position even when they were basically running over the top of us. So it, I, I had no, no point of um, blame on him 
for them kicking all those goals at all. I don't think he had um, any any sort of um, no less impact on what the game turned out to be. Um, and three, Jack Steele has to be. Um, I yeah, tossed up between squeezing Crouch in for the one, but I had to keep Highmore there. And um, but yeah, Steele best on ground clearly. Yeah, so often the case with uh, with Jack Steele and his, his ball use. Um, before we hear from from Tomo and um, take a look at that Richmond game, uh, where there should be some pleasing ends, obviously in memory, Ross and Rowan Marshall, who's so important to us. And look, uh, I hate using things as excuses, but a lot of guys that have missed so much footy are in our top six or seven players for importance in, in Gresham, uh, certainly. And um, obviously Jones. Rowan Marshall certainly being one of them. And, and Zach Jones and now Hunter Clark. So, I mean, Hunter Clark, that's a six to eight week injury. We're not playing finals. We've got nine games left. So I would think that's the season probably. Um, Jaron Geary certainly out for the year. And obviously that creates questions over whether he plays again. Dan Hanabry's torn his calf for the 39th time or something like that. So um, who knows if he ever plays again. Um, and oh, look, that's it. We could do a whole podcast on, on that, unfortunately. Um, Jake Carlisle uh, out for the year. And again, don't know whether he plays uh, again either. And obviously we know that Gresham and, and Patton have been out for the year for, for quite some time, but, uh, the freshest injuries in that Aguirre and, and Clark. We'll touch on Clark shortly, but uh, obviously the biggest issue of the last couple of weeks was the comments made on Footy Classified by Caroline Wilson relating to Seb Ross and Tim Membry, both of which have been guests on our podcast. Um, Seb Ross's wife gave birth to twins the day that St Kilda played the Gold Coast Suns. They missed that game and then obviously opted to go home. That The plan was initially for he and Tim Membry to fly home to Melbourne and then get a travel exemption, which would allow them to fly straight from Melbourne to Cairns. So their intention was to play, but that border exemption didn't uh, didn't come, and that was the risk they took. And Tim Membry, whose wife was expecting a child and actually had the child on the day that we recorded this podcast. Um, so that's, that's really good news, and, and congratulations to, to Tim. But I guess there's a few concerning layers out of this. In a, in a time, obviously, where we talk about, you know, the importance of family, the importance of mental health and, and well-being and those sorts of things that somebody would, would openly criticise a decision like that and also bring in the Paddy Ryder personal leave from the start of the year and also make statements such as that Severos's kids aren't even sick, there's no medical conditions, um, which is absurd. Um, but almost more concerning than that is that clearly somebody at the club did hold that view and did tell the media that. Caroline Wilson was extremely irresponsible for saying it and has form, but someone at the club felt that way, which is equally irresponsible. And I know Nick, you penned a, a really good article about this. I know you and Aaron are both parents and I'm recently married and hopefully will be soon. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it seems a no brainer that they would support that. And it's concerning that somebody or perhaps a few people in the club did not. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things, right? I mean, we, we as a football club have prided ourselves on our social and community and cultural, um, I guess, elevation, you know, into that, the stratosphere of, of being leaders in that environment, in, in that regard. Um, and so, like, like you said, there, there are multiple points. And we'll start with the obvious one. The obvious one is Caroline Wilson's comments, right? And and I think there's there's multiple ways on that alone. And, and one of the one of the things is that she was, reporting the news, which she started out by doing. She started by saying, 
sources have told me that there are, you know, members within the Secure Football Club that weren't pleased with the decision for these guys not to play, um, and et cetera, et cetera, which is clearly true. That is that is what appears to be true. That is fact. That is news, and that is well worth reporting on. The second part was the fact that she turned that into her own opinion piece around what is right, what is not right, um, what members and fans and the footy community and sponsors should feel entitled to from footballers and that they deserved, you know, that these people, sponsors, members, fans, etc., deserved better from Seb Ross and Tim Embry, which is just absolute rubbish. And, and, and you know, like you said, I, I wrote that article um, the, the day after those comments and I was pretty strong in saying that, you know, that was, a irresponsible from her and, and B potentially dangerous in, into how you know some of these guys, younger guys, perceive you know their future family prospects, how they are able to support their family. Um, you know, when it comes to it, that that if they feel like they need to to go home and, and support their wife, their partner, their kids for whatever reason that is, whether they're sick or not, doesn't really matter. If they feel that need, then they should be able to do that. And to have someone of the media stature, whether, whether you like her, respect her or not, you know, she's a giant in football media. For her to come out and say the things that she said has the ability to, to change perspectives, to change opinions, to change the feelings of some of these guys to be able to go to their football club and say, hey, you know, I need to support my family. I need to look after my wife and my partner or my kids. This is part of, this is my number one role. My family is my priority, and they might feel that, but might not be able to say that, um, which poses a whole range of other questions um, and, and concerns and issues down the line. Um, but from a pure football perspective, like you said, the concern is that there are people within the club who disagree with that decision, and why? I mean, we don't know. Like, like I said at the, at the start, as a club, we've prided ourselves on being on on being empathetic and sympathetic, and and um, you know, allowing of our players to be humans and to feel and, and emote and and you know go through the things that everyday people go through, and to be able to deal and process with those things like anybody else should be able to do. Um, and for for there to be senior people within the football clubs that didn't appear to support these two two guys to you know, go and spend time with their own family was really disappointing. And then on top of that, to go and and leak deliberately, to go and call a reporter and tell them this story and and leak this news and and whatever was doubly disappointing because the club just didn't need it. No, they didn't need it at all. Um, It's... Yeah, they didn't need it, and it happens, unfortunately, in these situations. And I know it's all too ruthless, but, you know, if I was president and you found out who it was that was leaking that sort of stuff, they wouldn't work another day at the club. Whether they believe that or not, they're entitled to do it. But you don't deliberately destabilise your own organisation and potentially draw negative attention towards mothers, effectively, in that circumstance, and, and family environments. It was... 
and I get the news element of it if, if someone tells you that from a club that, that it is news, but there is still a responsibility to the, the broader community in a sense that, yeah, okay, they're unhappy about it, so what do we do about it? Is it a poor reflection on the club or is it a poor reflection on that person? It's certainly not a poor reflection on the, the, the families involved. And one thing I hope, I know there's only 25,000 at the St Kilda Richmond game and it's a Richmond home game, so there'll be 21,000 of them, but I would hope that... Um, even as a show, because I haven't heard one single St Kilda supporter say that they disagreed with allowing Membry and Ross to go. Not one that has said that that was the wrong thing to do. So I would hope, and it's, it, it might sound something very small, but I would hope the first time Seb Ross touches the footy that there is a fair degree of appreciation shown from the mm-hmm. crowd as in to say, no, we're on your side. That's fine. Uh, we understand that. You're a leader within the football club and you've made a decision that most people should make. And we're on board, so don't feel as if you're, you're doing that alone or anything like that. So I would hope that that would be acknowledged in, in some way, regardless of everything else that's that's going on in the, in the scheme of footy. But I guess the other big thing that came out of it, H, was the Clark-Mackay bump, if you will, bump slash collision. Um, what did you make of that? I was one that thought that the close-up footage it looked like a football collision. When they showed the broader shot, it did look like it looked a little cruder than that. But I'm probably one that that's in the camp of if the roles were reversed, I'd be disappointed if our player got suspended based on what the current rules look like. Whether they change that or not, um, I don't think you can suspend somebody based on what you think you want the game to look like if the rules don't currently police against it. You can't suspend them for a future rule. Um, but I think they'll probably tighten that up around duty of care for someone like uh, like McKay in, in that one, that if you are, even if it's only a split-second thing, if you're second to the footy and you're accelerating in, that there is an obligation to try to protect the head. But I'm not too disappointed that he wasn't suspended. I didn't honestly think he was going to get suspended, to be honest. Um, though in, an, in another chat group that isn't that, one where we're not all in. Um, there was a, a few comments saying, "Oh, he's gone for six to eight weeks, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I said, "No, I think this is a, this is just one of those in, unfortunate incidents that it, it has happened." I mean, you see this sort of collision how many times a game that a player doesn't get injured in? It it happens mm. quite often in matches. It's just unlucky that his head was in the wrong spot. That that that's as simple as it is. Um, I was I was very surprised when I heard oh, it's going straight to the tribunal. I was a bit oh okay. I was, yeah, I thought he'd get oh. weeks when that happened. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking oh that, that's a bit unfortunate because generally that means it's a minimum of three weeks. Mm. So um, when it got came back as being no, it's been chucked out. I was yeah, I was thinking, yep, yep. That's that's pretty much what I expected first up. I didn't. I wasn't expecting it to need to go as far as the tribunal. Um, so uh, the the talk has been in from that does if they change that rule then they're changing the rule of the marking contest if a player marks a ball and you're there just slightly late but you got you got your arms out going for the ball and you clash heads are they going to suspend a player for that action as well it is it's just too too much in the way of an accident being um penalized it, it's it can't go that far, I don't think. It's not what the game's meant to be. So it's just one of those incidents that you go, that's happened. I mean, it's it's really unfortunate. That that's that's for sure. We're 
we like, we may not see him for the rest of the year. It just depends on what his recovery is like. And we well, might see two or three games in the year at best, but that that's just what happens. And we'll see many bumps this week that look reasonably similar that both players come straight out of it and there's nothing. So it's, it's yeah, pretty much what I expected to be in the end. It's one of those ones. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm part of me is glad that he didn't get suspended. The other part of me expected him to, um, and, and in no way, and again, I, I've written about this over, over the last couple of weeks, but in no way am I saying that David McKay intended to hurt Hunter Clark. In no way am I saying there was any malice or intent to hurt Clark and to, to have that outcome. Um, I don't think anyone anyone has, has said that or, or implied that at any level. Um, I guess my perspective was that this is a guy who accelerated the contest, um, provided whether you want to call it a deliberate bump or a collision, he was the one... Stark was almost stationary, trying to gather the ball. McKay was the one who was accelerating, who was in action, in pursuit, I suppose, in, in that contest. Um, elected at some level, like I said, whether it was a bump or a collision, whatever you want to call it, elected to make that contact. And clumsy, not not malicious, not intentful. Clumsy, um, an accident, 100% but your shoulder impacts the head or the face of your opponent, normally that will that will get a week or two. I'm not saying you should have been gone for six or eight weeks. Like that's just ridiculous. But you know, a week or two I think would have been would have been fair. Um like I said, I'm not I'm not disappointed that he wasn't rubbed out. But I think, you know, I, I would have quite happily easily accepted one or two weeks. Um but I mean what what do you guys think of this whole argument of changing the fabric of the game. And, and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, what is the fabric? Like, the game has changed so many times. It has evolved over 150 years. The, the game is not the same as it was in 1865. Um, it's not the same as, as what it was in 1965 or 2005. The game has changed and evolved in so many different ways that this whole argument is, you know, if David McKay gets suspended for a, an accidental bump, or a clumsy bump, or whatever collision, a football collision, that it's ruining the fabric of the game. It's just like I just found that ludicrous. What do you guys? Yeah, it's a, how it's do you a guys bullshit argument. It's yeah, it's um, it's as you say. I mean, the, the AFL uses on promotional videos throughout the nineties and two thousands. Michael Boss absolutely hammering Alan Richardson at the Gabba. He would have got fourteen weeks for that these days. That was, was just a, whole, a good bump. The crowd's like, oh man, magnificent and bumps yeah. and brawls, isn't there? Like, yeah, that that that's right, and it's it's. I don't think. I mean, if David McKay had got suspended for that, the next player attacking the ball is not going to pull out. It's just the way it is. Like you'd you'd ride your luck in that situation. My worry was that if if Clark had have stood up and was fine and broke McKay's jaw just through luck, would he have been suspended? And and probably not. But my the theory is that are they looking only at the injury? 
in these situations as, as a means of, of penalty. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not big on that, the, the whole fabric of the game argument. I mean, there'd be a thousand incidents in the game from 20 years ago that would be worth multiple weeks these days, but we don't really feel as if the game's gone too far one particular way, mm. I wouldn't have thought. so. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And, and like I said, I, I don't subscribe to the whole, well, he's out for eight weeks, so the guy the guy who yeah. impacted must be out for eight weeks. Like, there was clearly mm. no malice or intent to hurt him. Um, but, you know, a, a, a review or a suspension, whatever you want to call it, a tribunal, um, is not predicated on intent. It's a it's purely on the action itself. And one of the guys initiated the contact by accelerating and, and impacting that contest. One of them was almost stagnant trying to pick up the ball on his own, not moving towards the, the his opponent. Um, and he was almost, almost uh, helpless is too strong a word, but he was, he was um, unguarded and vulnerable. Yeah. And McKay made that decision consciously or subconsciously to impact the contest the way that he did. Uh, and, and I thought that that probably, and the fact that it was a clumsy collision, deserved a week yeah. or two. That's all. Yeah, and that's, that's certainly a fair argument. Yeah, yeah, I think. It, um, you kind of kind of look at it, 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 it kind of has changed from last year when you look at it because a lot of people are comparing yeah. to Ben Long in the final yeah. last year saying, well, he's knocked over a guy who's went gone down for three seconds. And got three weeks for it it's do you look at that and go well that that has changed in a way that they've looked at and sort of thought well maybe that kind of thing was wrong or is the is the difference there that you're looking thinking okay it's that's better for what what the game is it wouldn't be the first time we were a guinea pig that led to a rule change and then we caught the rough end of it on both occasions. But, um, That's true. But, but to be fair, what Ben Long did was not just clumsy, but it was, yeah. I mean, it was dumb. Yeah. It was incredible. Watching, it, watching it's, it live. It's the comparison. Like get, yeah, watching yeah. it live, I was thinking he'll get suspended for that. Mm, um, yeah, 100%. But, and look, he's, he's one of those players now, Ben Long, that has to wear that. If Ben Long was David McKay in that situation, he would have got weeks because of his form. Like Toby Green would get weeks if he did what Joel Selwood did, that that type of scenario. It's, there's clearly... A, and David McKay's played 250 games and probably never been reported, and that's valid. Um, not a dirty player by any means, but, but certain players obviously carry reputations with them along the way. Um, obviously, a lot of those issues we've dug into, but we are going to... Uh, do we have sort of mid-season review and, and just a general broader landscape chat with the Saints, uh, around the Saints, and to help us do that is former coach Grant Thomas. Long kick. Massey to Edwards. Stood up in the tackle. Couldn't find Dowdy. It's over. The Saints are through to the preliminary final. What a performance. Well, Grant Thomas was a former star with the Saints and, of course, a former coach from the back end of 2001 through until the end of 2006, three consecutive finals appearances, including back-to-back preliminary finals, in 2004 and 2005 and always been a very passionate 
a critique, uh, but also a very passionate St Kilda supporter. And uh, we're doing a review this evening, and we thought that Tomo would be a, a great voice to add to that chat. Uh, Tomo, thanks for your time. Pleasure, guys. Now, a little bit of an editorial, I guess, from my point of view, that one day it feels like St Kilda are a million miles from a flag, and then the next day it feels like they're not that far away because my brain convinces myself Oh, they missed some shots against Geelong. They probably should have won that game. Uh, they missed four set shots in the last two minutes against Sydney. They kick any one of those, they win. They were six goals up on Adelaide and Hunter Clark gets injured. But then my brain corrects itself and goes, we always miss shots in big games. We always don't nail those moments. We always appear to be unlucky in close matches. And I'm like, well, that's probably our fault. It's probably not bad luck or circumstances. And, do you, does that make sense? Is it a case of we always appear to be unlucky, but if you're unlucky so many times, it's got to be your fault? I suppose when you win one premiership by one point in 150 years, you're always lamenting what might have been. And uh, uh, St Kilda has always had a propensity to adopt a, a victim approach about itself. So it's quite consistent with a lot of Saints fans you talk to. They're always lamenting what might have been and, we could have done this or we could have done that and everything else. But at the end of the day, great organisations or great clubs, they are accountable for performance and their actions. And uh, uh, they probably uh, tend to um, uh, address those circumstances more regularly and don't get into the, the ruts that St Kilda finds itself in on a regular basis. That's the frustrating thing for me. I'm, I'm just a footy fan like you guys and I'm a Saints fan and unabashed and uh, I just get frustrated that uh, um, we find ourselves back in the position we're in. It's a lot of deja vu for me. It seems like a similar position to 20 years ago. Christ, was it that long? Yeah, it was. God almighty, 20 years ago. What a waste of 10 years. Anyway. It, it feels that way, doesn't it? But, Grant, when... when uh... We confirmed that you were going to be on the show. We, we put a tweet out and, and you know, asked people to, to come up with some questions to ask you. And, and one wise man went on Twitter and said, I've got a question. What on earth is going on down there? So do you, do you have an answer? I mean, that was you. Do, you. do you have an answer? Do you have a perspective? What, what on earth is going, down, is going on at Moorabbin? Well, I was going to say what a very smart person that question was from. But... Um, um, yeah, look, I um, I get very frustrated when the leadership within the club come out and start protecting themselves and giving excuses and protecting the players and and everything else. Um, you know, when we get uh, uh, situations like the ridiculous um, uh, Ben King. Um, um, uh, sorry, Max King. Um, of talking to his ex-coach Matthew Lloyd, bit of a somewhat of a legend within the game, and uh, and we get very precious about that as a situation. That tells me something. It tells me we're in protection mode. It tells me we're precious. It tells me we're, we're more worried about our own ego and performance rather than uh, opening ourselves and trying to see what the best thing for the club is. When I hear about us contacting the media and say, "Hey, listen, can you back off?" having a go at um, Higgins and King about their goal shooting. It's not really, you know, helping them a lot. You know, for God's sake, 
I just worry about that sort of stuff. Um, and I just think we should be better than that and stronger than that. And um, this whole thing comes down to leadership anyway, you want to look at it. And, you know, the, the President Bassett uh, needs to have a really good hard look at uh, his performance and what his uh, expectations are. If they're in line, well, he probably needs to make a decision about whether he wants to go past this year. Uh, he has the huge responsibility to uh, direct the club into, uh, into the right direction. And he's got a great track record corporately in business and everything else. I've had one chat to him when he first started. He came into the office and, you know, an impressive guy. Uh, haven't had a chance to have a chat to him since. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to take up that option to have a chat to him at some point in time, if uh, in the next week or two, uh, to find out what's going on. Because I'd, I'd like to know. I'd like to know what decisions they're making, what leadership they're providing. There doesn't seem to be the um, right amount of connection amongst the team. They don't seem to uh, um, be completely committed unconditionally. Um, in my mind, coaching 101 is all about bringing your team to have a red-hot crack, irrespective of circumstances, who's in, who's out, where you're playing, what you're playing. And I just think we're a little bit selective in that area. Um, so, you know, when you look at the leadership, whether it's the coach, whether it's, it's his advisor, uh, whether it's um, recruiting, whether it's uh, the people in charge of the football uh, program, the football department, whether it's the chief executive, whether it's the board, um, there's no... no Shying away from it, you just they've got to have a really hard look at themselves, and I, I would strongly recommend a, a, a very, very independent and formal review. I heard they're having an internal review at the moment, but that sort of worries me because it's like you know, the loonies are in charge of the asylum in some ways, so you wouldn't want people like Lethleen and Bassett doing a review on themselves. I don't know who's conducting the review, but. I, um, I'd like to see the results of it. I'd like to know who's doing it. But I think it's time we made some really hard calls. Um, we've had enough of trying to patch up things. I think it's time that we uh, um, uh, had a complete overhaul, a completely black canvas, and started to make the necessary decisions to ensure that St Kilda Footy Club is going to be a force to be recognised with going forward, that it's going to earn the respect back of the football public, that we're only going to entertain people that are interested in premierships and interested in doing whatever's required to win one, that is going to be selfless, egoless and uh, provide the necessary leadership to ensure that we're right at the top of the tree. And there's two, two types of clubs in AFL. There's one type of club that is in the premiership business and there's usually about six or eight teams regularly. Some of them always are in that and the rest of them are just playing AFL. And I think if St Kilda's just happy to play AFL at the moment. Uh, our record is abysmal. Um, it always has been. Um, even in our halcyon days in the 60s, uh, uh, we won one premiership by one point. We probably could have won, should have won two. We probably could have won three or four. We had an incredibly good team. 
Uh, I'll take responsibility that uh, we should have delivered during my time. We didn't. Uh, Rossi, the same. Um, so we're littered with uh, underperformance and inadequacy. So if you think that how we're going about it now is a panacea for success, well, you know, it's not going to work. You've got to do something dramatic and drastic. We had a crack 20 years ago and uh, we wanted to define success by having a decade playing finals uh, and, you know, four, uh, five or six of those years in the top four that would deliver one to three premierships. That's That was the model. Pretty close to getting there. Um, the train got derailed there um, um, uh, by, a, by a nameless person and um, um, took a while to get back on the tracks. But Rossi nearly got us there as well. Um, but once again, we live with incompetency and bad decisions and we find ourselves in a similar position now. So the, it's a long answer to a pretty short question, but I suppose my question back is who, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the person now to lead the new change? Um, it might be Andrew Bassett, but he's going to need to make some drastic changes. Um, uh, it's not going to happen how with the current people we've got in place. Now, that that's mainly off-field, obviously, but on the field, have you sort of looked at it and gone, What's this, this doesn't, What's the, the leadership... Yeah, the leadership is that you, you you brought in your own um, system of rotating captains, give him an experience. And that are you seeing that the leadership on the field's not working? We don't have the right people there, or, or what? What's something that will be able to, you, they could throw in to change that up? Well, um, the guiding principle. I mean, Rui being captain for as long as he was, I and mean, it's great for Rui. Uh, and he's, he's, a, he's, a, well, he's right behind me. I love him. He's a family friend. He's, you know, he's like a son. Um, it's not good for St Kilda Footy Club to have that principle. I mean, you have a big... When he leaves, there's a huge vacuum behind him. And it's not his fault. It's the club's fault. We've got to have programs to have sustainable, uh, perpetual leadership. Uh, that's what it's about. And um, But... Unless we've got the off-field correct, you actually can't get... The on-field doesn't matter. I mean, they'll have their days where they play well and go okay, but this you, you have one loose link or one broken link in a, in a chain within a club and it's, it's just a it's disaster. You have to have connectivity, synergy, solidarity amongst all aspects from the from the the board level through the executive level to the operational level to the football department to the playing group uh, and the extended um, people that to, who support them. Uh, it's just a, a fundamental requirement. We've never had that. So we can drill down into how we're playing and the fact that um, we turn four-goal wins into eight-goal wins because we run forward of the ball and we're... Um, we, um, you know, are very, very keen to put our hand up for easy goals and everything else uh, for unaccountable teams we're playing. But um, uh, when we don't get our own way, we're not that good. And um, Steele is a star. I think our defence works pretty hard and they're pretty pretty good, but but we don't have 
we don't have, to me, the right, may have, we don't seem to have made the right recruiting decisions in recent times. Well, for a long time, to be frank. And um, we don't have that 190 centimetre strong body midfielders that most clubs have got at least one, maybe two of. We've got Steely, who is a battering ram and fantastic, but he should be our third stringer. You know, um, we we need people who can sort of um, physically impose themselves in in those uh, contests. And most of our sort of better players, if you like, are, well, they're midgets, you know, they're small, they're little. And um, that's great when we're going well. Um, but, you know, grand final day or big final day, you um, bigger bodied uh, people are, in my mind, uh, is, is a better recipe for success. Sorry to I think from, we looked at the situation last week, one of the cultural talking points centred around Seb Ross and, and Tim Membry. Keen to know, I guess, from, from your point of view, how you would have dealt with that from a club point of view. Would it have been a case of you've got to do what you've got to do, totally respected? And did it concern you more that some in the club were disappointed or did it concern you more that it was leaked, which it clearly was, which obviously suggests a degree of instability? Um, what concerns me that people within the club were disappointed, it tells me that culturally we're miles away. If you can't have at the utmost appreciation, respect and support for any person within any environment, uh, organisation, doesn't matter if it's a player or a work uh, person in marketing or it doesn't matter if they've got a family to look after you just go and look after your family that's the most important thing and if you haven't got a culture and an environment that creates that and fosters that you haven't got anything you just haven't got I was just so shocked that that became an issue and clearly was an issue internally at the club Um, as far as I'm concerned every week you pick up the paper and 18 clubs have got someone rested for mental and or physical reasons. They're either cooked physically or mentally or whatever. They're rested. Um, I don't know what the big deal was. Like if Seb Ross wanted to spend time with his wife because of their twins, I don't care if he had to take his... felt he had to take his son to the dentist because he had to have a tooth extractor. I couldn't give a stuff. Um whatever the player requires in that area, they need to be respected and they need to be supported. And what's worse, you, you can't force a player to play under those circumstances. So, um, you know, you want every player available as much as you can, but you absolutely need to have an environment where any player or person for that matter can um, put their hand up and say, hey, listen, I need to be somewhere else this week. It's just just you know, fun, a fundamental, a basic fundamental, says to me that everyone within the club um, is under extreme pressure and they were really frustrated that a couple of their better players weren't going to be available for a game. Um, so they were you know, looking to protect their own circumstances rather, rather than the best interest of the player. So, Grant, you, you've touched on that that vacuum of leadership within the club. You've touched on, uh, I guess, the, the culture of the club. But how, like Aaron mentioned before, you kind of brought in that rotating captain's system or, or program. Um, 
how do you build a leaders? What are some of those things that you can do to build leaders? Because you did that within our football club. It took some time. It didn't happen overnight. And B, how do you build a winning culture that that is going to come out firing every week, regardless of who's in, who's out, who you're playing, where you're playing, when you're playing? How how do you do that? It's funny. I mean, everyone thinks it's a it's a big mystery. It's it's so simple and basic. It's and people use the word culture, but if you get the right play of people in the right position, and you have the right um, uh, connection and attitude and um, uh, strategic planning for the one outcome, and everyone focused on that together, it becomes very simple. Um, <clears throat> you know, of course, you 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 have sessions around values and behaviours where you all all talk about you know who you are and what you stand for and where your deficiencies are and what you want to improve on and and all those sorts of things and there's a myriad of things that you go through but it's also the experiences you know back in our day of course you know we St Kilda we we started training camps you know as you know we started the AFL training camps community camps and a part of that was to to let the players know that that you're you're not that important you know (laughs) You, you might think you're important, but there's more people in the community, especially in country areas. They're just beautiful people that are so selfless and so caring and so giving. And they're all eye-opening experiences for players when you take them to a country environment. They're visiting jails and schools and hospitals and elderly people's homes and all the rest of it, giving talks and training down there. I mean, that's humbling. Um, you then go take them to overseas training camps in London and South Africa and take them to China and a billion people in a city uh, that we worked in that operated in that 30 billion people more than Australia and, uh, and, and expose them to all those elements. I mean, it's an education process. It's about advancing maturity. It's about helping the player to understand what's really important in life. It's about um, helping them to understand they're only as good as the person to their right and that they need to work cohesively as a team to get the best outcome for everyone. And back to what I said before, that you're in the premiership business and you're there to win a premiership. And if you want to, um, if you want to be coached and managed towards that, it takes sacrifice and you've got to be a pro's pro. You've got to you've got to give yourself up for that period of time to be the best you can be, and you have great role models in the club who know that and understand that. You have councils and there's counselling towards it. You have mentoring programs towards it. You have buddy systems to enhance it. I mean, you have regular feedback, uh, open and honest and transparent. And I stand out the front of the room first and say, "Right, guys, give me feedback. I'm the coach." And and I started off, and then it goes right through, and you can do it. But it's all that shit, you know, you just, it's very simple. It's stuff all you, you guys would have done at different stages of work or home or wherever, but it's relentless and it's, it's um, just, it's just a natural thing to do in a sporting team, in a sporting club when you are all living together every single day and you, it's not as if you're a, 100 metre sprinter and and that's all you have to focus on or you're a golfer or a tennis player you're actually a footy team and 
you, you have to be able to rely on one another. And if you can't rely on someone, you've got to tell them you can't rely on them. And if you don't respect what someone's doing, you need to be able to tell them you don't respect what they're doing. And it needs to be open and transparent in front of everyone. And all of a sudden, everyone rises to that level. And it's, it's not... Um, it's not um, rocket science and the great teams do it. You know, you see what Richmond does. I mean, I made an ass of myself by saying that, you know, uh, I was doing it in a complimentary manner, trying to say that they they were one of the, you know, worst, worst inverted commas teams to win a, or sides to win a premiership, uh, meaning that it was just all credit to the coach and the club and the team because, they were so connected and since then they've just taken it to a whole new level because their their trust and engagement and everything with each other it just jumps through the television screen at you. You guys see it, everyone sees it. It's not hard to create. I mean, I'd like to think we had that at St Kilda when I was there and I every now and again someone will shoot me a video of a game and I look and I go, fuck, you know, how magic was that? Jesus, that was fun. The guys just loved it and it's exciting. So... It's not too difficult to get, and once you get it, it's like a tonic. It's like a drug. You just want to keep using it. You just want to keep being it, and uh, that's what it's about. But you've got to be able to look at everyone, front, behind, side, everywhere, and they've got to be on the same page. And It uh, doesn't matter what part of the uh, club they're in. They've just got to be connected like that. Being the pioneer of sort of those overseas camps, as you're just talking about, and get, get, getting the groups together, getting them bonding, getting them, getting them as one, tying that in with something else, compared to last year, do you feel the fact that the guys had to go into their own little hub, they're all by themselves, they're in a foreign place, they all grouped together. Do you think from the outside looking in that that brought the team together, that made them play well, that made the team really gel and... They've come back to normal life, and all of a sudden, it's things have changed a little bit. Is, is do you feel like that at all, or how's that? How's that looking? Look, um, with that, that that may have had something to do with it, but I, um, the fact that they are all together and, and all the rest of it, that may have helped Rats's ability to get the team connected and driven to 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 play as a team and uh, not not individually. Um, that that may have been a strong element for last year, but I thought last year they that the team we played really well. I I, I thought we'd be uh, fortunate to make the eight. I thought we I had a sort of eight, nine, ten around there. We made the eight and won a final. I was surprised to beat the Bulldogs. We played really well that game, and, and that was fantastic. I didn't have any expectations of us uh, playing in finals this year. I thought we'd be around the same. If we got in, great, but I had us more around, you know, um, 9 to 12, 8 to 12 around there. But um, uh, And I know we got those those guys in, but I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm not certain that they're going to be the sort of guys that are going to make the difference that, that um, um, is required. And I don't know some of the decisions we've made and while we've made them but there seems to be a little bit of animosity around some of those things and the team spirit morale doesn't seem to be where it needs to be I mean spirit morale is a really really important uh, tangible thing within a club and it's spirit morale is based on two things and you know, firstly you've um, you've got to 
believe that something's achievable and worthwhile. And secondly, you have got to believe that you have the ability to do it. And that's where spirit and morale come from. And so if you don't believe the challenge is worthwhile and you don't believe you have the ability to achieve it, well, spirit morale wanes very, very quickly. That's what it seems to me to be, is that uh, um, last year we, we got up and we stayed up and, and uh, we're fairly consistent. The band between our best and worst wasn't great, wasn't huge. And, um, and that's always a good thing. Whereas, you know, this year it's really selective, big gap between our best and worst. We either have a competitive performance or we get smashed, you know, so. So, Grant, I guess last one for me, and it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a two-parter, but if a, if a role was to become available at the football club, whether it, you know, a, a board role, whether it's a football department role or, or whatever, a management role, CEO, COO, would you put your hand up? Would you, would you be interested in, in having a role back at the football club? And B, what would you do if, if you had one of those roles? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Um, I've had my time and um, um, I have my own business that I run at the moment and uh, um, I'm really excited about that. I, I love it. I've got 65 staff and we've built uh, Australia's first and best digital bank called Up and um, we have nearly 400,000 customers and, and, and we, we love it. Uh, in fact, uh, coaching the engineers like a footy team excites me and excites them. They love it because they have never, uh, let's call them the nerds, have never had that feeling and, and, and they love it. And I'm, I'm really excited by the work I'm doing and, and everything else. If I could ever help St Kilda Football Club from a council point of view, an advice point of view or a involvement point of view, I'd, I'd, I'd always be there for them, always, 100%. But... Um, uh, that that's uh, that's up to the club, and I wouldn't stick my nose in unwanted. Um, um, and look, I, I really think I've only got one good fight left in me. And uh, uh, if I get pushed too far, I might waste it on the club at a point in time. But um, uh, I'll wait for others to stand up first and have a crack. I had my crack, and we nearly got there. But it's now time for someone else to do that. But don't push me any further, Saints. <laughs> My uh, final one from me, um, you sort of touched on it a little bit with the connection and the desperation and guys just wanting to play AFL. I know you had some big-name recruits from other clubs when you were there and Garrick and Hamill and, and Brett Voss and, and even guys earlier than that like Callahan and those sorts of players that were, were handy. Can you have too many uh, of the foreign legion, if you will? I've heard that perception from others that more than half of St Kilda's list have come from other clubs. Can players get comfortable almost if they're not grown there and it's a case of I've got a pretty good pay packet I'm earning a good living I'm signed for four years this isn't this wasn't wasn't home and that maybe you don't get everybody gelled together like you should I mean it's a valid observation but I'd say good luck to the players if you can you can get six eight nine hundred thousand dollars for three four five years and blood your way through it uh, all credit to you. Good luck to you. I'd be looking at the club and for, for the club to allow that sort of behaviour and that sort of selectivity amongst the playing group, um, that's where the problem is. It's, in, it's leadership. It's, it's not 
if a pl- players, I mean, there's a lot of situation. It's like your kids, you know, like your kids will sort of push so far and they, they're very good at knowing how far they can go. And if mummy and daddy let them go a long way, God, they'll, they'll take the whole lot, no, no trouble. But, you know, if players are the same, if you've got an opportunity to make a statement a month ago, six weeks ago, round 10, whatever it was, and um, um, uh, drop a couple of guys that absolutely needed to be dropped. In fact, they should have put their hand up and said, I'm out. But um, they're playing so badly. But then you go the other way and actually uh, try and protect them and uh, don't make any statement whatsoever. Well, you're actually letting us all know that standards aren't that important here. Um, You can be selective. And if we're on a roll and we're going all right, well, everyone can jump on board. But if it gets really tough and hard, you're excused if you don't want to, you know, put your head over the ball or if you don't want to work as hard as the opposition. And that's what it's like. But I wouldn't be having a crack at the players. I'd be having a crack at the uh, people that are uh, in charge of leading uh, the um, um, actions and the behaviours and the efforts and the attitudes of the players. Now, we see the picture of Nick there behind you. Um, player that obviously, as you say, would have been an absolute privilege to coach. At the moment, we have play down there, Max King. Um, now, when, when Nick was younger, he played a bit down back. Is that a move that you think that maybe could have helped Max early on in his career? Just take it, send him down back a little bit and... Just, just getting to look at what other forwards do and get an idea of how structures work and that sort of thing. Just, just the a different point of view because that's sort of what it feels like to happen with Nick as he was in his first season and a half before he moved up and actually took control of our own forward line. Is, is that something you think may have helped him out a little bit? Um, look, it's not going to solve the problem, and you would like to see a guy of his ability uh, work his way through it and I don't think we're using him anywhere near the right manner. Um, I'd probably prefer to see him uh, up at centre-half forward or playing a little bit higher than he currently is because when you're that in that uh, last position on the last line, uh, all focus comes towards you and it's easy for defenders to double and triple team you. Um, in a goal square or, you know, 10 or 15, 20 metres out where he does most of his work, uh, I would have no hesitation in him going into the ruck for a period, uh, playing off a wing, playing off half-back, as you suggested. I I think all of those are great learning experiences. When you know you're not not in the premiership window, we are not anywhere near the premiership window. That's not going to happen in this next decade that I can see. Um, so now's the time to actually develop and experiment with those things and give people, you've got to have the courage to sort of, you know, um, to um, potentially not get your best performance by allowing as many players as you possibly can to um, experience different roles and different circumstances during a season so they can be multifaceted and adaptable and uh, resilient and all of those things. But I think all of that would definitely help uh, King if he, if he was given another role or played a bit higher. 
most of our uh, memories as St Kilda supporters uh, do bring up pain and, and a bit of heartache. And certainly during your tenure, there was some painful memories. But overall, I think most of us uh, remember that period with tremendous fondness uh, in terms of the, the passion with which they played, the excitement. And, and we long for those opportunities again. We got a little glimpse of it last year, and unfortunately, it was fleeting. Um, we look for that next opportunity. But, uh, Tom, I always love your passion. I always love that you take our call. And thanks very much. And uh, hopefully we can ride the wave as slowly as it may seem back up the ladder all together agree with that keep up the great work guys all the best Grant Thomas there uh, we look ahead to the Tigers on a Friday night it was humiliating last time we played them on the big stage on a Thursday night Rowan Marshall and Paddy Ryder both missed that game they will both play this time it's a funny one. Like, I've got it in the back of my head. I can't see us winning a game against Richmond at the MCG at the moment with the players we have out. Their injury list has shrunk a bit. They've only got two or three out at their end. Lynch, obviously, being one of those, which is important. And I think Asprey, potentially, and maybe one more midfielder. Um, but they're sort of starting to gather a bit of form. I know they lost to West Coast narrowly, but they had that game shot to bits. It was a loss probably similar to ours in a way, although they didn't stop for an hour. They stopped for six minutes, um, and that was enough. But... Um, I just I get the feeling we might actually be okay in this game. Um, I don't think we'll win it, but I don't think we'll lose by 86. So I could see us being in the game and being one of those nagging ones where we, we have a few little opportunities that we don't take and, and maybe get beaten by five goals or something along those lines. But um, we lose Clark from the midfield and Bytel, who came on as the sub for him. And the unfortunate part is I think Bytel was concussed on a Wednesday so if I'm calculating 12 days, you'll miss two games, not one, um, mm. which is frustrating. Um, so he'll, he won't play. Um, whether they go with, given they get Ross back, whether that's enough or whether they go with another midfielder like Connolly or, or something like that, I don't know. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. But no, I've, I don't know. I've just got a funny feeling that maybe coming off the break will be okay in this game. But I don't say that with any trust or, or any faith. <laughs> um, but I could see us being okay. Yeah, be interested to see what the break does for us. I mean, uh, is it is it going to freshen us up, or is it going to sort of go the opposite way and we we come it's out a, small. a bit mm. bit laxadaisical and just go get absolutely blown off the park in the first fifteen it's minutes? It's mm. yeah, it's, it's it's scary to think that mm. they ha- have don't click back into gear. What could happen in that first fifteen minutes of the game? So hopefully the breaks refreshed them. Hopefully they've been able to sit down and nut a few things out and go, this, this is what we're looking at doing. This is what we want to do. This is where we want to get to. What What is a path mark this week? We have that whole yeah week and a half to think ahead and go, yep, this is what went wrong last time, which there was, well, I don't think there was anything right that went last time. So um, it, it's it's very much going to be what happens in that first 15 minutes of the game is going to probably dictate the rest of it. Because if we don't turn up, it's going to be a very long, long night again. Um, and yeah, it's in front of what probably going to be 90% of the fans there, Tigers fans wouldn't be a nice place being out the field. If that's happening. It's a really interesting matchup and there's so many different, types of narratives or angles that you can look at. And Parker, you mentioned earlier with, uh, with Tomo about, you know, as a Saints fan, you always look for those, you know, those fleeting moments where your perspectives change and sometimes we're shit house 
And then the next day you have a think about it, you have a sleep and all of a sudden we're actually not that far off. You know, mm. if, if something had gone our way, then we're a lot closer than we, we feel we are, you know? And, and I, I guess depending on what your perspective is on any given day, like that, that can change almost minute to minute. But, you know, I look back at last year and clearly we're not the same, clearly we're not the same unit as last year, but I, I look at that game and, and think if Paddy Ryder had played in that game, yeah, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe we win that game. Maybe, and, and all of a sudden, Richmond aren't unbeatables. Maybe, you know, all of a sudden they're not three-time premiers. Sure. Yeah, they're two-time premiers yeah. and we bundled them out of the finals. Um, you know, and, and it, it can be those moments, those things, you know, Paddy Ryder doesn't tear his hamstring. You know, we beat Richmond the following week. Uh, who knows what happens then and who knows what this season looks like. You know, after that, um, I'm not I'm not saying that because Ryder and, and Marshall are in this week that we're going to win because uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that we're not any good. And, and whether we're completely not any good or for this year, we for whatever reason, we just cannot put it together. And, and you know, we're not competitive for enough of the time to win games of football or, or whether we're actually just no good and last year was an anomaly. I, I don't know. I'm not close enough to know. But anything can happen in two hours of football. And we turn up and our good players turn up, we can be competitive. And we've shown that. And the, the issue is that our good players haven't turned up consistently enough, enough of the time for us to be competitive enough consistently as a team. That doesn't mean that we couldn't potentially put it together for a couple of hours on Friday night. Having said that, I'm not tipping us. I'm not with, tipping us. Yeah, that's the thing. With with margins, it's funny. Like, you you look at it and people assume you get beaten by 86 points or you're miles off that team. Now, we're not Richmond, clearly, but it, it, that's more probably a sign of mental. We were in front at quarter time. We missed three sitters in the second quarter. They kicked two before half time, led by three goals. We gave up and got flogged. Yeah. But what if we took those chances? What if Ryder and Marshall played? And I know that sounds... I'm not saying you win by any means, but... We lost by 86 points, not because we were shit house. We lost by 86 points because mentally we collapsed. Mm. Now, in a way, that is that is shit house, but hopefully people know what I mean in the sense that yeah. not a lot has to change to turn a flogging into a very close game or turn a close game into a comfortable victory. Football's weird in that way where it sort of goes off in momentum swings and stuff like that. I mean... Uh, you know, you go from one little moment falls away, you have a bad five minutes, you you collapse. Now that you've got to address why you're collapsing, but yeah. There was one moment early in the second quarter of that, that first game where hmm. Max King showed the best and worst of his season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, he hmm. gathered the ball. I think it was like a half volley. He gathered the ball in his wrong hand, spins around, weaves through two defenders, like seasoned Richmond Premiership defenders mm. weaves through this pack of, of you know, strong body um, premiership defenders, snaps on his on his good foot and just misses. Mm. And that would have put us four goals up. Mm. Um, or say he misses, you know, instead of four goals up, we're two and a half goals up or, or thereabouts. And, you know, they go up and they kick a few, all of a sudden scores a level, they kick a couple more and they're up by a couple at half time. Like mm. four goals up, halfway through the second quarter is is the point when you have the option to start burying a team. And, and I felt like that moment almost, and not again, not putting it all on Max King, he's got other issues and confidence issues and, and whatever, but that was almost the moment that kind of 
solidified where we're at mentally and emotionally as a football club because we didn't have the strength to overcome some of these things that we just weren't executing right. And Richmond took full advantage for the rest of the game. And our season has continued in that trajectory for the, pretty much ever since. Um, and that's not to say that had King kicked that goal, that we would have won the game, that our season looked very different. But you never know. And it's it's those little moments, those things that just don't go right when you absolutely need them to, that can change an entire season or an entire football club in some in some regard. And, you know, I, I don't think... I think we match up on Richmond pretty well, but we have this we have this thing about not executing, and then you just drop your bundle, and we just don't have the emotional yeah. or mental strength to to compete against you know the dynasty that is Richmond, and they are built on mental strength. They're not the most skillful team. They're not the the fastest team. You know they barely win the hardball. You know they don't win clearances. They they don't win contested possessions a lot of the time. Um, but they have this mental resolve to outwork you, to, to outplay you for long enough to just bury you time after time after time. And we don't have that. We're not even close to that. It's sort of team that if everything goes your way, you're, you're, you're right amongst it against them. They, yeah. You see them get frustrated. They get very frustrated when the things are going their way and it, it quickly pulls them down. They, you can see, like, the biggest example is probably Jack Revolt. When he, when the ball's not coming to his hands, you see him throwing his head back, throwing his arms around, getting frustrated, getting, this is, what, what's going on here? It's, as soon as it's not working, they kind of drop off a bit. So if everything goes their way, they roll. They just keep rolling, 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 and, that, and you've got no hope. Get in there, get under them, get get them frustrated, and that's your first step to actually putting a good, a decent performance on the board against them. And it, everything goes right. You, I, I, it can be a surprise, I guess. Okay. It, it's just a matter of who, if we turn up and if they don't turn up. So I guess it, yeah. it's yeah, it, it's it seems to be the the common way that they play their football. If they turn up you pretty much no hope. But if you get them early, then you're right. My my final thought, I guess, I know it's been a uh, a big one this week, is that um, the, the constant theme from us this year is is not rolling up our sleeves when it gets hard. Like, we'll have a crack for a while, but if, if it gets a bit difficult, we've gone to sleep repeatedly this year. So for, for the nine weeks that remain this season, that's the biggest thing that we, we have to address. And Richmond, there's a chance that at some stage they might get hold of us. It's a possibility, um, as you were just saying, if, if they, you know, if they lift and and take control of the game, the, the one thing that I ask, and hopefully that doesn't happen, hopefully we're, we're riding it the whole way through, but all I ask them from them every week for the remainder of the year is if that happens, just roll up your sleeves and, and fight. Doesn't mean you'll win, doesn't mean you're good enough to get over the top of them, but just don't lay down, just see it through just just be prepared mm. to do the difficult stuff and and battle it out and and see what happens just just take and, something from the performance and it doesn't even mean that you won't get pantsed like it's entirely possible right. that no matter what we do that they'll still beat us by 10 goals like that's possible but what you want to see is that right. that effort that effort doesn't dip that they don't drop their heads they don't drop the bundle and a 10 goal loss becomes a 20 goal loss you know what i mean like 
it's entirely yeah. possible that they are a 10 goal better team than us at the moment. And that is, that is possible. Um, and even if we do keep running, even if we do keep chasing and tackling and, and doing the things that, you know, we need to show every week that they might still win by 10 goals. But the important thing is that we don't stop doing those things regardless. And, you know, we haven't really seen that all year. Yeah. I mean, if, if we get to half time and we're 10 goals and down, as we, uh, as we do, do, yeah, do the under 12 thing, Send, flip the team back to front and try something. <laughs> it might turn into, as you're saying, a 20 goal loss as well, but just do something different. Give, give it a go. So we might all of a sudden go, oh, that player's better in this position. What? It's something maybe, we haven't maybe tried Max King's a wingman. Well, you never know. He played a bit high against Adelaide and actually looked pretty good. Instead of just sitting in the goal square waiting for nothing, and when he does, when it does get down, they have three players hanging off him and can't mark it. He went up the ground, got the ball, and I mean, yeah, we, there was no memory to look for after that. But out, out in the wing, he clunked every mark. So it's, it's the sort a, of thing. Um, of, yeah, it's the sort of thing you just change something up to do something different if it's not working. We're a um, we're, we're a strange lot us um, Saints fans. Obviously, we know we, we go through more than most, and and we we experience you know more pain than, than every supporter. But we've spent a couple of weeks grieving. But we'll get to Friday evening and uh, either attend the game or turn TVs on, genuinely believing that we can beat Richmond and the, the two-time running premiers will roll up our sleeves and go through it all again and and uh and it all starts and and that's the thing we never uh we never stop believing uh unfortunately as as much as um as much as the faith is tempted sometimes but uh, we'll take them on we've beaten them before we beat them last year we beat them uh, twice when they won premierships in in 2017 and, and 2020 and you never know they ended our season in a final last year we can make it very tough for them if we beat them on Friday night and you know what why not so uh we'll uh, we'll rock up to that one and We'll be back again next week, hopefully with plenty of special guests. But thank you to Grant Thomas and uh, and Go Saints.